hello, bienvenido, and welcome to the Clear Birth Podcast. I am your host, Annette Perel. If you are new here, welcome, bienvenido. Take a look around at previous podcast episodes and let me know what you think. If you are a returning guest, gracias, thank you for coming back. Before we start the show, I like to open with this segment I call, Say Her Name. I want to acknowledge women who have passed away due to neglect while giving birth. Today, we are remembering Kira Dixon Johnson. Kira's life was cut short in 2016 when she died just hours after giving birth to her second son. Her death was a result of a preventable childbirth complication that was not adequately addressed by her health care providers. Born in 1975, Kira grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and was raised by her mother, who instilled in her a strong work ethic and a commitment to education. Kira went on to attend Spelman College, where she earned a degree in economics and later obtained an MBA from Emory University. After completing her education, Kira began a successful career in finance, working for companies such as Merrill Lynch and Citigroup. However, Kira's true passion was philanthropy, and she spent much of her free time volunteering for various charitable organizations. She was particularly dedicated to supporting organizations that focused on the well-being of women and children and was a member of the board of directors for the Atlanta Women's Foundation. In the wake of her passing, Kira's family and friends established the Kira Johnson Advocacy Fund to raise awareness about mental health disparities and improve health care outcomes for women of color. Kira's legacy continues to inspire others to advocate for equitable health care access and to work towards a world where all women have the support and resources they need to thrive. For Kira, for Moms is a nonprofit foundation. The foundation was established by Kira's husband, Charles Johnson IV, and her family to raise awareness about maternal mortality and improve the quality of care for mothers during childbirth. The name For Kira, For Moms reflects Kira's passion for social justice and her belief in the power of community to affect change. The mission of For Kira for Moms is to prevent maternal deaths by advocating for policies and practices that promote safe and respectful childbirth. The foundation works to address the systemic issues that contribute to maternal mortality, such as racial and ethnic disparities, inadequate access to care, and gaps in knowledge and training among healthcare providers. Through education, outreach, and advocacy, For Kira, For Moms aims to create a culture of safety and support for mothers and families. One of the benefits of For Kira, For Moms is that it raises awareness about maternal mortality and empowers individuals and communities to take action. By sharing Kira's story and the stories of other women who have died from childbirth-related complications, The foundation helps to humanize the issue and inspire empathy and action. Additionally, 
The foundation provides resources and supports for families who have experienced the loss of a loved one due to maternal mortality, including grief counseling and legal assistance. Another benefit of Forcura for Moms is that it advocates for evidence-based policies, practices that can improve maternal health outcomes. By collaborating with healthcare providers, policymakers, and community, the foundation works to identify best practices for reducing maternal mortality and promoting their adoption. This can lead to improvements in the quality of care for mothers during childbirth, including better screening and monitoring for risk factors, more effective communication and teamwork among healthcare providers, and greater attention to the social determinants of health that contribute to maternal mortality. Overall, for Kira, for moms is an important foundation that is making a difference in the fight against maternal mortality. By raising awareness, advocating for policy change, and providing support for families, the foundation is helping to create a safer and more equitable healthcare system for mothers and families. Its work serves as a powerful reminder of the urgent need to address the critical public health issues and the potential for communities to come together to affect change. We will never forget you, Kira Dixon Johnson. Today we have a special episode focused on an important topic for expectant mothers and healthcare professionals alike. We'll be discussing cesarean prevention and the possibility of having a vaginal birth after a previous C-section commonly known as VBAC. But first, let me explain what a C-section is and why it is sometimes necessary. A C-section, or a cesarean section, is a surgical procedure in which a baby is delivered through an incision made in the mother's abdomen and uterus. C-sections are typically performed when there are complications that could pose a risk to the mother or the baby during a vaginal delivery. These complications can include breach presentation, placenta previa, fetal distress, or previous C-section. That leads us to our main topic today. In recent years, there have been an increasing interest in preventing unnecessary C-sections and promoting VBACs. What are some of the common reasons why women choose to avoid repeat C-sections? Many women prefer to avoid repeat C-sections for various reasons. Some may be concerned about the risk associated with multiple surgeries, while others desire a more natural birth experience. Additionally, a vaginal birth after a previous C-section can eliminate some of the potential complications of surgery, such as infection and longer recovery times. VBAC can be a viable option for many women, but it is essential to consider individual circumstances and consult with a healthcare provider to determine if it's feasible. Silent Knife, Cesarean Prevention and Vaginal Birth After C-Section by Nancy Weiner Cohen and Lois J. Esner is a valuable resource for women considering VBAC. It delves into the history of cesarean section, explores the reasons behind the rise in C-section rates, and provides evidence-based information on how to prevent unnecessary surgeries. 
The book also highlights the importance of finding supportive health care providers and addressing common concerns and misconceptions surrounding VBAC. It empowers women with knowledge and encourages them to make informed decisions about their birth options. Speaking of myths and misconceptions, let's address some common myths and misconceptions surrounding VBAC that Silent Knife helps dispel. One prevalent myth is the belief that once a woman has had a C-section, she can't have a vaginal birth in the future. While VBAC may not be appropriate for everyone, many women are excellent candidates for a successful VBAC. It is essential to consult with healthcare providers who support VBAC and have experience in managing such deliveries. Another myth that causes concern is the fear of uterine rupture during a VBAC. While there is a small risk of uterine rupture, it is relatively low, around 05 to 0.1%, according to the research cited in the book. Proper medical supervision, continuous fetal monitoring, and access to emergency interventions ensure that any potential complications can be managed effectively. Silent Knife, Cesarean Prevention, and Vaginal Birth After C-Section serves as a valuable resource for women considering a VBAC. It provides evidence-based information, debunks myths, and empowers women to make informed decisions about their birth experiences. Remember, Every birth journey is unique, and it is crucial to consult with knowledgeable healthcare providers to assess your birth. That's crucial advice. There is a growing interest in preventing unnecessary surgeries and promoting VBACs. The book, Silent Knife, sheds the light on this topic by providing valuable insights and recommendations. It offers evidence-based information on cesarean prevention, and empowers women with the knowledge to make informed decisions about their birth options. One significant statistic discussed in the book is the rising C-section rates over the years. According to the World Health Organization, the global average C-section rate is around 21.1%. However, in some countries, this rate exceeds 40%. It's essential to address this issue and explore the alternatives when possible. Now let's discuss the pros and cons of VBACs as highlighted in Silent Knife. One of the significant advantages of VBACs is the opportunity for a more natural birth experience. Many women desire the chance to deliver their babies vaginally and avoid the surgical aspect of a C-section. VBAC can eliminate potential complications associated with surgery, such as infection and longer recovery times. It allows for a shorter hospital stay and a quicker postpartum mobility. Additionally, Silent Knife emphasizes the benefits of VBACs for subsequent pregnancies. Multiple C-sections can increase the risk of complications in future pregnancies, such as placenta accretia and uterine rupture. Opting for VBAC can reduce these risks and provide a safer option for both the mother and baby. However, it is important to acknowledge that VBACs may not be suitable for every woman. So what factors should women consider when deciding whether to attempt a VBAC? Some factors that can influence the decision include the reason for the previous C-section, the type of uterine incision, and any additional risk factors identified by healthcare providers. 
Each case should be assessed individually to determine the feasibility and safety of VBAC. Story time. I had a client who I was interviewing with postpartum. In our interview, I asked her about her birth. She had a C-section with her first because the baby was close to nine pounds. I had just finished reading Silent Knife, Cesarean Prevention, and Vaginal Birth After Cesarean. I asked if she knew about VBACs and then talked about the few points that I learned. Ask your doctor if they will allow a trial of labor after C-section. She told me she would ask her doctor. She had an appointment the next day and she would call me after. And she did. When she called me, she told me that her doctor would allow for her to have what is known as a TOLAC, a trial of labor after cesarean. She decided to hire me for the birth as well. We had a prenatal a few days before her due date. A day or two later, I got a call from her and she thought her labor was starting. I had just gotten off the train in Brooklyn and I told them I was headed back into the city and it would take me about an hour. We agreed to meet at the hospital. We met in the lobby. My client was in full-blown labor. Her contractions were strong, they were long, and they were close together. She told me she wanted an epidural. I helped her manage her contractions until she got examined, at which point they determined she was fully dilated. We were all surprised. She had not experienced labor with her first because she had a scheduled C-section. She decided she still wanted the epidural. After the epidural, it was time to push. Her doctor got called away and another doctor from the hospital came in. He told them that he recommended a C-section because her baby was too big. Her husband asked for their doctor and went to the front desk to have her return. What stood out to me was this doctor was a large man who's over six feet tall and really wide and with a Russian accent. My client wanted to start pushing and the doctor sat in the chair off to the side of the room and repeated, I recommend a C-section. This baby is too big. I was annoyed by his actions. The nurse helped us with pushing. The doctor refused to help. He sat in the corner and picked his nails. My client pushed for 20 minutes before her doctor came in and she continued pushing with us. My client was pushing so well that the baby was born within 10 minutes. The baby was big. I had never seen a baby that big. Mind you, to my client and her husband's credit, they're both large people. They're both over six feet tall. They weighed the baby and he was 13 pounds. You heard me correctly. 13 pounds. We were all in shock. A 13-pound baby born vaginally in a hospital and the mother was a VBAC? It's unheard of. The first thing the doctor said was, had I known the baby was that big, I would have given you a C-section. I thought that was a missed opportunity for her. She was not proud of her patient accomplishment, but more concerned with the potential danger that did not happen. After the doctors left, I told my client how well she did. She confided that while she was pushing, watching the other doctor sitting there picking his nails was the fuel she needed to help her prove him wrong. She pushed hard with each contraction. 
I was so happy she found a way to use his negativity to help her. I have since helped many women have successful VBACs. The World Health Organization, WHO, plays a crucial role in monitoring and addressing global health issues, including maternal and child health. When it comes to the cesarean section rate in New York City, the WHO provides valuable guidance and recommendations. According to the WHO, the ideal rate for C-section should be between 10 and 15% to ensure that the procedure is used when medically necessary. However, in recent years, the C-section rate in New York City has been higher than the WHO's recommended range. The WHO emphasizes the importance of reducing unnecessary C-sections and promoting vaginal birth whenever possible. They recognize that while C-sections can be life-saving in certain situations, such as complications during childbirth, a high rate of C-sections without medical justification can have negative consequences for both the mother and baby. Therefore, the WHO advocates for evidence-based practices and efforts to avoid unnecessary surgical interventions, encouraging healthcare providers in New York City to follow their guidelines. To address the high C-section rate in New York City, the WHO recommends implementing various strategies. These may include promoting awareness among healthcare professionals about the potential risks associated with unnecessary C-sections and providing training on alternative approaches to childbirth. The WHO also supports the implementation of policies and protocols that encourage vaginal birth and facilitate informed decision-making for pregnant individuals. By working closely with the local authorities and healthcare providers, the WHO aims to contribute to reducing the C-section rate in New York City and improving maternal and child health outcomes. Having a successful vaginal birth after a previous C-section, the VBAC, involves several key factors. According to VBAC Facts, it is critical to choose a supportive healthcare provider who is experienced and knowledgeable in VBAC deliveries. Building a birth team that includes a doula can also contribute to a positive outcome. Informing oneself about the risk and benefits of VBAC, exploring one's personal reasons and desires for vaginal birth, and addressing any previous trauma is essential for mental and emotional preparation. It is important to create a birth plan that aligns with one's goals and communicate openly with the healthcare team throughout the pregnancy and labor. Taking care of one's overall health and well-being, including nutrition, exercise, and stress management, can enhance the chances of a successful VBAC. Statistics show that VBAC induction rates have been found to be lower compared to repeat cesarean sections. With studies reporting induction rates ranging from 19 to 40%. However, the specific rates may vary depending on various factors, including individual circumstances and healthcare practices. Lastly, staying informed about the progress of labor, having patience, and trusting in one's body's ability to birth can greatly contribute to a positive and empowering experience. According to VBAC Facts, After a cesarean section, women have two choices for future births, vaginal birth after cesarean or repeat cesarean section. 
VBAC is considered a safe and appropriate choice for most women with one prior cesarean and for some women with two prior cesareans, according to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG. VBAC has a success rate of 75% with lower complication rates compared to scheduled repeat C-sections. Uterine rupture, the major concern in VBAC, is rare, but can occur. VBAC carries a risk of 0.4% risk of rupture, which can increase with labor augmentation or induction. The risk associated with repeat C-sections, such as blood transfusion and placenta accretia, increase with each surgery. The risk of maternal death is low for both VBAC and repeat cesarean, while the risk of adverse infant outcomes during VBAC is quantitatively small, but slightly greater than associated with elective repeat cesarean deliveries. It is important to note that the availability and support for VBACs may vary, with 92% of women opting for repeat cesareans due to various reasons, including hospital VBAC bans, lack of supportive healthcare providers, and misrepresentation of VBAC risk. However, the updated guidelines from ACOG encourage patients' autonomy, oppose forced or coerced cesareans, and support informed consent which may improve the availability of VBACs as a viable option for many women who deserve it. I hope this episode is helpful to you and inspires you on your birth journey. I'd like to leave you with the quote of the day. Childbirth is a transformative experience that has the power to change the trajectory of a woman's life. As a Black birth worker, we have the opportunity to create positive change in our communities by supporting women through this process. Mars Lord, Black midwife and the founder of Wombs of Color. Thank you for listening. Best of luck and a lot of preparation on your journey. Thank you for listening. I would appreciate it if you would leave a review and rate the podcast five stars. It helps other people find the podcast. Please check the show notes for resources from this episode. I love to hear from you and will read your review on a future episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can also send me an email at clearbirthpodcast at gmail.com. Happy birthing.